Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. going to talk about um i really felt that uh <laughs> i should talk about um reward and punishment in the sense that when we're talking about god not being the same as you've got to put it in that framework that all the other gods etc operated on that criteria think about it you're rewarded for good you're punished for bad and so we have in religion in the sense of the common narrative is always banging that drum it's reward for good it's punishment for bad and and ellen was quite uh, correctly saying that you come in and it's supposed to be whom the sun sets free is free indeed but then all of a sudden you're not free at all because there's all this stuff that we have to do in order to qualify and in order to be good because something also that that you were saying when really things went bad for you uh in your marriage etc isn't it interesting that the church as a as a whole and i don't want to be critical of right across the board they find that they don't have the grace and the kindness to deal with trouble because they're actually, they're looking at their criteria and they're saying, this is outside, you've, you've done wrong, you've done bad, therefore you must do this. Because the, the situation and the criteria is still reward for good, punishment for bad. So we haven't got a, a holy God who is different, we've actually got an unholy God who is the same as. I hope this is making sense. Anyway, so what I wanted to talk about a little bit was um, unrewarded good. Now that's an interesting word. Um, Because what I have actually found is that once you, even in the context of understanding grace, you can find that what comes across in the church, and especially in progressive churches, you get the what, what's the point attitude that's almost like, well, if there is no reward for good and there is no punishment for bad, and especially once you go into the universalist type of thinking that you, when you say it is finished and that God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself and it's done, you think, well, then what's the point? So does it prove a little bit that we all like to be rewarded for good and we all like others to be punished if they're not quite as good as I am. So I wonder if it's possible that we can actually get to a place and it's a little bit attached to what I was saying a few minutes ago of coming to a place where we do everything that we do not out of a sense of a reward that's coming but just because we want to do what is good and what is right because it's the right and good thing to do. Does that make sense? Now, I feel that at times uh, what I am sensing is that there isn't that 
attitude. So for instance, we're quite happy to get rid of hell. And I mean, some of you may not have got rid of hell yet, but I mean, we've, we've talked about it. We've talked about the, uh, how the Bible talks about not, not hell itself, but the word that has been used as hell describes these, you know, Gehenna, uh, Hades and Sheol. Um, but what we've created is more akin to, to Dante's Inferno than it is what the Bible talks about, you know, the, the, the um, rubbish heap, etc., that burns. And I, again, I'm not talking about that tonight. I'm just trying to fill in some gaps. So we get rid of that, and we're quite happy to get rid of that, although some people aren't. I mean, Anth went into a church in Arizona, and uh, he, he did a, a preach on it, and somebody came to him, you know, and he says, you are not taking away my hail. It was great. It was brilliant. And uh, he's never been invited back since. So there you go. <laughs> um, so... Um, what about heaven, though? You see, if we're not careful, we still talk about heaven as this destination in the same way as we talk about hell as a destination. But we've so, sort of sorted that. But we're really backing up the wrong tree even with heaven. Because think about it. Even in the common narrative, it's all about coming to Jesus, giving your life to Jesus, him forgiving you of your sin so that you can go to Heaven. You see what I mean? So it, it's, that is the common narrative. Now, what makes me then get to heaven because of that? Well, because I have said I am sorry for my sin, that suddenly makes me good. And those who don't admit that they're sinners are still bad. It, it, it's, sorry, I've got to have a drink. Yeah, I'll have a drink. It's a good idea. I'll have a drink. So then you have to ask the question then, even in our desire to participate and operate in the restoration of all things, the building of this peaceable kingdom, is it about still a reward? If there is no heaven, and I'm not saying that there isn't a heaven, I, I promise, listen to me, I'm not saying that, but if there isn't one, will and would be, we still be willing to do what we do? Great question. And the reason why I say that is because I have noticed, and India's been mentioned already tonight, but we went to India a few years ago, and what we found really very, very noticeable was as soon as that you brought any sort of grace message about freedom and about inc the incredible uh, non-legalistic message and more beautiful gospel, those who had been stuck in legalism for years did not like it because they, they were almost saying this, and I'm sort of paraphrasing, if my life's had to be miserable up to now, their lives have got to be miserable up to now or it's not fair. Seriously. And I won't mention any names because it could go out on, you know, online. But it's actually the truth. It was almost like, hang on a minute, you can't now tell them that they can do this and they can do that when I couldn't and my life was miserable. We're saying, but we're telling you as well. You can be free as well. I can't be free. Oh, I can't be free. Isn't it really, really sad? So it's almost like once you preach this 
wonderful freeing gospel, it almost, and if there isn't this heaven to gain, well, what's the, what's the point then? So where am I here? Um, we've talked about, oh, I better just clarify this, right. I do believe there is something after this. I don't know what it is. And do you know what's lovely? It's all right to say we don't know. I know that we can read in Revelations about streets paved with gold and diamonds as big as your head and all of that. And I just really, I don't, I don't know if that's heaven. I don't know if that's what it's about. Because when you think the Revelation, like we've talked about, is more of what was happening in AD 70 and all that was going on then, it's hard to suddenly jump and make that about the few, I, I don't know, but it's okay to say we don't know. What we do know is that, that God is great and God is good and God is lovely and he's unconditional in his heart towards us. So it's got to be pretty decent. Isn't that fair enough? And is that okay? But can we do something? Can we stop looking at it as a reward? Because I don't want any of you thinking in terms of this eternal life or this afterlife as something you are getting for something. The reason why you're getting eternal life is because you are a part of God. You're a part of him. You're going to live forever because he's eternal. And so are you. Because in that sense, we're all connected and it's back to the... Uh, subatomic particles, isn't it? You know, you know, when we touch each other, you get more of me than you, than you bargained for. This business about us being so connected is sadly what the church as a whole tends to miss. Because we are so connected. And not just us in here, but with every single being in the entire world. Everything. We're connected to it. So your life hereafter is not a reward for you saying some sinner's prayer. It's because you are eternal beings. Now, isn't that great? Now, I'm going to then go further. Everybody out there are eternal beings and are going to live forever. And we could start talking about all of the, and we can next week, we might go talk about the sheep and the goats and the wheat and the tares. Just let me go, I love it. Because at the end of the day, we start separating, saying, yeah, but they're going to go there because they're good. And they're going to go there because they're bad. But I can, I can promise you, we've not got that right at all. There's great parables about what's going to happen at the end of the age when the angels come and do all the sorting, this, that and the other. What we mustn't do now is sort it now. We've got to leave it alone because I know what's going to happen. Because if God said that the judging is going to be left to the sun, what sort of judging is he going to do? Just think about that. What sort of judging is the sun going to do? It's going to be pretty awesome. And I'll tell you what, he's going to judge more on the side of acquitted than he is on the side of doomed. And what we would, a lovely word last week, wasn't it? The peaceable kingdom, we called it the undoomed kingdom. 
undoomed. We like, we like that word, undoomed. Okay, so I hope you've got sort of a bit of that in your head. Um, yeah, New Covenant, Jeremiah 31. Love this scripture. It says this, that you'll no longer, a man shall tell his brother, know the Lord, for they shall know him. Um, I think we've got to get, keep getting that. We're not converting people to, we're actually trying to uncover what's already there. Come on, let's remind ourselves it's already there. And uh, that's, that's what we're wanting to do. And while I say we're not that interested in putting bums on seats, we want a place where people can come and experience that unconditional love of Jesus. Isn't that right? Okay, where am, where am I? Okay. Um, in our effort to find meaning, and we do, we're looking for meaning in everything, aren't we? Have you ever thought about that? Stuff happens and you want to know why. And what does it mean? You know, we have a little upset with our f friends and family. Yeah, but why? What, what was going on there? What does it mean? But I believe that we have attributed to God and Jesus some crazy things. What I mean by that is if you think about the atonement theories, we, we find a way of taking the story of Jesus and because we have to make it mean something, we can be a bit daft. I, I don't know whether you're getting me there, but we can. So for instance, um, with the atonement theories, you've got this idea that, take for instance the satisfaction um, uh, theory, you've got this idea that, that this incredible creator God is so offended by people's behaviour that he has a mood, he gets in a mood and therefore basically says, unless, you know, my offence is taken away, you know, we're not, we're not talking. And that to me is trying to find meaning um, to, to make us feel better. And, and meaning is something that uh, I think matters a lot to us all. Um, so for instance, we then make meaning by looking at the Jewish system and we can see then Jesus oh he represents a lamb therefore it fits in with the Jewish system so suddenly it becomes the lamb of God which is the sacrifice for the world but that we don't realize we're attributing to God child sacrifice which in the Old Testament he clearly says do not do it you can't do it so why have we made meaning for a God to be willing to sacrifice his son I hope you just hear that because it, as I'm saying it, I'm thinking, where did we come to accept that that was a good meaning? And I think it's because we're all wanting meaning so much, we'll just, we'll grab it, we'll, we'll gravitate to whatever we, we feel is okay. So in this context of meaning, um, I want to have a look at Solomon and I want to look at uh, Job because what's amazing about those two people they're about the only two. I know we say David was a man after God's own heart, and he was, but just keep him out the loop at the minute. We're going to talk about Solomon. We're going to talk about Job. These two guys seem to have a revelation that others didn't seem to have. And um, 
it's really, I found it really quite interesting because you've got Solomon, his outlook on life, um, I'll just, you know, very basically say, okay, he indulged in pleasure, he amassed a load of wealth, he had loads of influence, he was a, a powerful political uh, figure, he was a king. Being there, done that, and basically he says, meaningless, everything is meaningless. Now what's interesting there is it's the opposite of meaning. <laughs> I find that very interesting. Because what I find that as we look at what he's doing and what he's saying is that he is actually finding meaning when he calls everything meaningless. Now, I know that's a bit of a contradiction in terms, but you'll get what I'm saying in a minute. Basically, Solomon, if it was Solomon that wrote it, I really don't know, but <laughs> I'm not that bothered either. Um, this was written around the time when um, the Israelites had been in captivity and um, they'd had a terrible time. And of course, they were very low and very down and the party line at the time, and you can see why I'm linking it into what I was saying at the beginning, the party line at the time is this, that God blesses good and he rewards bad with punishment. So that's the party line. And yet, you've got Solomon, or whoever wrote this book, he's actually saying, you know, I don't buy that, because he says that basically, when everybody dies, all that's going to happen is death. Now, that is in your Bible, what you're smiling at. Because you've got all sorts of different, and remember, we've talked about this as well, haven't we? About the differing um, authors of the different books and how they came from different um, backgrounds with, with you know, different uh, agendas and motivations. So that's why sometimes you can read one thing in one place and something totally different in another. And that is not a contradiction because at the time, that's what they felt. And if you don't get that, you're going to be, oh, what's going on here? But you've got Solomon here, who's actually saying, do you know what? And, and, and when I think about that, he was a bit of a, a church kid, wasn't he? A bit of a pastor's kid, or a king's kid, you could say. You know, he'd been through all the horror of his father and Bathsheba, uh, in the sense that Bathsheba was his mother, so he'll have known all the horror and all the scandal that went on. You wonder if that had anything to do with Solomon's uh, depressed state. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but maybe as he'd got to the point where he thought, you know what, I don't like the way my, my family were treated and I don't like all that went on. So I think, you know what, I'm just going to... But then on the other hand, he built the temple. Ooh, that's another little rabbit we could follow because you've, you've got issues then where you've got a guy who is used by God to build a temple. His father wasn't because he said his father was a man of blood, yet he had a heart after God's own heart. We've got all sorts of weird stuff going on there. But anyway, you've got Solomon here who's basically saying, do you know what? The meaning that I find in life that it's all meaningless because basically we're all going to die Life is unfair, whether you're good, whether you're bad, 
whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're a king or a pauper, whatever you are, the end result is the same. Do you think he was a wise man? I don't know. He's supposedly very wise. Um, he will rot like the rest. Foolish and wise have the same end. And when all said and done, all he was coming to the conclusion, his life is very unfair. And why was it unfair? Because he'd done all this stuff. He thought he'd been very good, but he recognised that the end result was just the same. Oh, do you think he's had a revelation? I think he has. Anyway, moving on. And at one point he says, do you know what? I hate life. And the reason why I hate life is because the same fate happens to everybody regardless of anything. Very depressive view. And according to this writer, there is no heaven or hell. It's just the place of the dead. It's the grave. Um, and and I'm, I'm rushing on because I want to just to finish this. By the time you get to chapter 9, though, he's come to an incredible conclusion. And, I, and I've, I've got to actually find it. Let me just read it to you if you can just give me a second. Ecclesiastes. Ek. <laughs> Nine. Oh, technology. So he says this at the end, because he's had a right rant, a right moan, he's a right misery, full of doom and gloom. But then he says this, So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. Get this, it's in the Bible. <laughs> all share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. So that's a bit like saying whether you're religious or you're not religious, you're going to end exactly the same way. But this is the bit I want to get to, and I think it's, it's lovely, and you'll understand by the end. So he says, so what am I going to do? Am I going to sit in a corner? Am I going to have a paddy? Am I going to absolutely, you know, just lose it all? Or am I going to come to some meaning? And he says this, Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favours what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife. Woohoo! I haven't got one. Whom you love all the days of this meaningless life. I love the way he keeps calling it meaningless, but he's actually finding meaning. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labour under the sun, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it with all your might. I think that's a bit gospely, isn't it? Do it with all your might. Moving on. I'm coming, I'm, I'm, you'll see why I did that in a minute. So, because it's the end, and because he's got this idea, that's it, it's meaningless... What am I going to do about it? Find something that you believe in and do. Okay. Um, it's not, life's not going to last, so at least live it to the full. And, you know, I think that that's one of the things that we have got to even get through in this business of instead of preaching, you know, the heaven, the hell, it's this. Live life absolutely to the full. 
Yes. See? Because we can be more heavenly minded than earthly good. So I think he had an incredible revelation there and he turned his meaninglessness into meaning. But why? Because he first of all faced the meaninglessness of it. So let's just move on to this now. Uh, right. The Deuteronomists who were around at the time, and if you remember our study that we did on the Bible writers, their worldview was this. Good, thing ha- good things happen to good people Bad things happen to bad people. Good people are blessed, evil are cursed. And and the point was, Solomon was wise enough to know that that was a way too simplistic way of looking at things. And sadly, the mainstream church has picked up that and said, this is it, you know, good things happen to good people, bad and it just is not the truth. And I know you guys here, with me on that but uh, just making sure we keep banging that drum so um and this is often how we want it until it happens to us think about it so when the bad stuff is happening um we we wouldn't want anybody would we and please hear me on this the platitudes and the uh, and also then the opposite the rubbish that can be spoken to people in times of crisis is just wicked it doesn't reflect the heart of God. It doesn't reflect Jesus at all. And that, that's our job. So Solomon is saying, we're not having this. We're going to challenge their idea. And um, we're, you know, going to put stop to that. Okay, so now let me talk about Job, if that's okay. Because we often look at Job from the point of view of the test that we've got Satan coming into the presence of the council, which we can't go into that. We've talked about that before. Uh, and even then, when people focus on that, they never focus on it properly because if they do, they have to admit there is a whole council of, of gods there and Satan being one of them, which has got to sort your theology out on that because he's there and he's coming in and he's not coming in just as a... Um, Uh, a baddie who's encroaching in this place is actually part of that council. That's why he's bringing up the the, the charge. He's part of that council, but that's another story altogether. But he finds himself the victim of the most hideous suffering. And uh, we know from the story that uh, he gets a visit from his friends. And isn't that what we've just been talking about? Let's be careful what we say to people who are in difficulty and in trouble um, because they were basically telling him that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And what did Job do? He insists that he has done nothing wrong. Now, I have heard people say, oh, well, you see, that was where he was going wrong because he really, where he'd gone wrong, and remember the word of faith, the thing that he feared had come upon him, uh, that's why all this stuff was. So it was a lack of faith and he was uh, having sacrifices to make sure that if his children had not done the right thing that day, they were going to be covered. So they make a lot of that. And, And that's fine. I am not knocking any of that but I think that what is in this uh, passage is much more 
exciting because really he's saying, no, I have done nothing wrong. Therefore, these calamities should not have happened to me if I go by what the common narrative is. I have not done anything wrong. Therefore, I want to stand before God and say, why have you done this to me? I think that's fair dinkum, don't you? I think it is. So he gets his day, day in court. And, uh, you know, basically the, 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 the belief is that he has, uh, he has done wrong. That's his friends. And he says, no, I haven't done wrong. And in the end, and I'm not going to obviously go into all of it, but the final result is that they're both wrong in one sense. Although Job hadn't done anything wrong, but he was wrong in how he understood the principle. Do you get me? So he believed that because he hadn't done anything wrong, he didn't deserve the calamities because he was a good person. But that's where he was wrong. Now, are you, are you hearing me? Because we believe only good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad. But God was saying, you've both got it wrong because the truth is, that isn't how the world works. And it's here where Solomon and Job have got the same understanding. Now, Job has to be taken on a journey. He has to be slapped around the head a bit because he argues, doesn't he? And he's saying, da, 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 da. Um, And the point is, if, you, if we really get honest, Job really wants that principle to exist. And do you? This is why I brought up the beginning about unrewarded good, you see. Are we willing? Are we willing? Do you know? Anyway, we'll, we'll get on to that in a minute. So, both Solomon and Job had come to the same revelation that the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, actually experience life exactly the same. Now, like I say, Job feels that there should be this principle in place. And I remember Jonah being a bit like that, sat under that bush sulking because uh, he didn't want God to be gracious to Nineveh when he'd gone and preached the word. He said, I knew you were going to save them. He didn't want it. Why? Because he thought they were bad. Do you get me? Okay. So we're getting to the point, aren't we? That basically God gets hold of Job and says, what on earth are you talking about? This is not how the world works. There is no simplistic, clean, tidy answers to everything. Suffering doesn't just visit the sinner and blessings only the saint. Basically, good and bad is happening and it's happening to us all. And then what I found um, really interesting was the fact that uh, as I'm reading this, I think I've mentioned it before. I read, I read in this little passage away um, of, about a guy who had got cataracts on his eyes and he'd gone out for prayer in a, in a, in a church and uh, immediately was accused of um, reading or watching pornography because if he had cataracts, that must mean so he was doing something terribly wrong. Um, how sad. So it's like, that's it, case closed. See how we find meaning? And, and I, I hope you're getting why I'm attaching it to meaning. 
because we find meaning. Oh, cataracts, you must have done something wrong, blah, blah, blah. And so we've made meaning out of it. But in fact, that, that in itself is meaningless. Let's get it the right way around. That's meaningless. So anyway, uh, let me read this. Um, the fine thing about the world, this is G.K. Chesterton. I don't know whether you've ever heard of this guy. He, he does some great programs on the TV called Father Brown. Never seen them. If you ever do it, they're lovely. They really are nice. Um, he says, the fine thing about the world is that um, it can all be explained, or at least this what is what the mechanical optimist believes. But this is now God sees it. He says, if there is one fine point about the world that God insists on is that it cannot be explained. Now, you, you think to yourself, how is it that God, who is on top of everything, is saying that he can't, ex he can't be explained? What he's really meaning is that he's not, going to, he's not going to sit and try and explain it to us lot. He's going to say, leave it. Leave it to me. Leave it to my mind. And so what, what is wonderful here is in Job 38, 28, you've got this wonderful banter between God and Job. And he's asking questions like this. I just wrote a few down. Has the rain a father? Isn't that a lovely question? Has the rain a father? Out of whose womb came the ice? These words are like, poetic and brilliant and of course it goes on for like five five chapters where he's absolutely saying you think you've got it sorted into this simplistic karma-like um principle that good get good and bad gets bad when actually what exists in the universe is something that you can't even understand at all so here's the point did solomon stop being somebody who decided he was going to find something to do and do it with all his heart because he found out that the world didn't operate the way he thought it should. Are you got me? And did Job do that? No, he said, I, I was a righteous man and I will continue to be a righteous man even though my righteousness doesn't stop these calamities. Amazing, isn't it? So, here's the thing. We can be so um, tempted to decide that when we've had a raw deal, that we will just pack our bags and not bother and take our ball home. Not right? Um, but I would say that what we have to do is decide that we're going to be motivated um, with all our heart and with all our might, even if our good that we're doing is not seen or even rewarded. Hard, isn't it? Yeah. But then, if we're only doing what we're doing for a reward, one could say that proves that you haven't got a sense of morality it's only a morality that is self-centered in the sense of reward based so i hope that that makes sense uh, so unrewarded good has intrinsic value only as far as we lay aside the hope of any reward i think that the moment there is a house 
that is where we have really been called. Really do, because we're doing a lot of giving, a lot of input and a lot of investment. And, and most of the time, a lot of it's not even seen or acknowledged. But are we going to keep doing it? We're going to keep doing that. So this is uh, just something that I want to now say. If we're not careful, we make the death of Jesus um, meaningless rather than meaningful. And I think what I'm going to do, I don't know, maybe it's next week or, or sometime, to have a look at that. Um, because we, in, our, in a, a, a desire to find meaning, we can actually attach a distorted meaning. Do you get me? So what had happened with the Deuteronomist, Deuteronomist was that they had attached a distorted meaning to the reason why they'd been in captivity and actually were telling lies to the people. Do you get it? In order to make sense of it. So anyway, um, how, how do I finish this off? We all want to matter and we all want rewarding for mattering. <laughs> That's a good one, isn't it? Um, there was no reward in Solomon's worldview. Everyone was the same, but that didn't deter Solomon. And Job, sometimes we have to watch the wicked prosper. Um, the lazy might be thriving while you're struggling. And in such a world, it doesn't seem to make any sense. But Job... He found meaning in it because he said, I'm going to carry on because this is what the right thing to do is. So these two characters hold to something that is far superior than what most religions have. And that's Christianity included. And it's what I would call this unrewarded good. And um, let me just finish with this, and it will lead nicely onto the sheep and the goats, because real righteousness, now I know it's a gift in the sense of God's righteousness, but how it can be expressed, and you can have a look at Matthew 25 if you like, real righteousness is that which we do without any expectation of reward. And that's why we know that we can trust God because his heart and his actions and his attitude towards us is not because he's looking for reward. It's because he's in it for the duration, because he absolutely dotes on us and is totally committed to us, period. So that's it, I'm done. And uh, if you have any questions, because I'm sure there will be, jot them down and uh, let me have them. And... Uh, We'll have a look and see what we can do, right? Yeah, maybe we should have some conversation one week as well. All right, thank you very much. Um, and we'll see you Saturday evening. And uh... Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again.